Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. It's my pleasure to kick off with our case presentation this morning. I will present a male in his seventh decade of life who developed a delayed presentation of an anterior anterolateral ST elevation myocardial infarction. He underwent a percutaneous intervention. Unfortunately, this was complicated by severe no reflow phenomenon and persistent ST elevations, despite our best efforts. His past medical history include type 2 diabetes, hypertension, chronic kidney disease, stage 3, dyslipidemia, and chronic pain syndrome with reflex sympathetic dystrophy. Representative images from his acute coronary intervention reveal a, the culprit lesion was the left anterior descending. It was a delayed presentation. And despite our best efforts, at the conclusion of the case, there was restoration of flow. However, the flow was very slow down the anterior descending, as you can see, with significant residual disease. On his EKG, one can appreciate persistently elevated ST segments in the anteral, anterolateral leads. Unfortunately, one month later, after his initial PCI, he self-discontinued his titagralor due to perceived intolerance. And because of this, he sustained a recurrent ST elevation MI due to acute instant thrombosis at the distal edge of his previous LAD stent, for which he received another drug-eluting stent to the left anterior descending. At the conclusion of these PCI events, this gentleman was unfortunately left with ischemic cardiomyopathy with an ejection fraction that was severely reduced at 25%. Additionally, he developed New York Heart Association Class 3 symptoms of dyspnea, despite optimal medical management with guideline-directed medical therapies. He also sustained a heart failure hospitalization approximately three months after his initial PCI. As one could appreciate, this is his heart failure medication list. He's optimized to, on maximally tolerated doses of guideline-directed medical therapy, which in this day and age would include a beta blocker, an ARNI, an MRA, and an SGLT2 inhibitor. Representative images from his echocardiogram demonstrate a dilated left ventricle with reduced ejection fraction. Most importantly, on his apical 4 imaging here on the right, one can appreciate a distal left ventricular aneurysm with akinesis and potentially dyskinesis as well. On his read of the echocardiogram, we can appreciate that his ejection fraction is 24%, his left ventricle is severely dilated, and the apical segment is um, akinetic. And again, on the string imaging, one can appreciate that as well. With multimodality imaging, which Dr. Harb will go over, one can further ascertain the geometric changes um, in this ischemic uh, substrate. And here on the cardiac MRI, again, the LV aneurysm is demonstrated. On a CT analysis, again, one can appreciate the enlarged ventricle with um, enlarged and diastolic and systolic volumes and a reduced ejection fraction of 28% on the CT measurement. So because of these reasons, this patient met multiple inclusion criteria in the LV reconstruction trial or the ALIVE trial with Bioventrix Revivant, which you will hear a lot more about during this talk. Specifically, this gentleman had an ejection fraction less than 45%, 
evidence of left ventricular scar or akinesis, dyskinesis. His LV and systolic index was greater than 50 milliliters per meter squared. He continued to have New York Heart Association Class 3 symptoms despite being optimized on excellent heart failure guideline-directed medical therapies. I will pause my case presentation at this point to make way for our speakers, and I will circle back at the end of the presentation for uh, patient updates in this case. Thank you very much. It's a great uh, pleasure to be here to, to talk about some of the, the future of uh, LV restoration. I'm a coronary and structural interventionist, so naturally I'm inclined to, to want to fiddle with devices and to, and to do fancy things to people's ventricles. So it's been amazing to learn from Dr. Starling and colleagues about how some of these theories have, have evolved over time. Uh, here are my disclosures. Um, and now we're at the stage where we have a new subspecialty called interventional heart failure, which is really the merging of interventional cardiology based on cardiac surgical principles with key involvement of, of heart failure, imaging, and even sometimes electrophysiology. And so this is how we are evolving. Dr. Starling highlighted the important point of Laplace's law, which is a foundation for not only the the, the pathophysiology of HEFREF, or heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, which is a self-propagating vicious cycle of ongoing elevated intraventricular pressures, ongoing ventricular dilation and wall thinning. And also it highlights the, the goals of adverse, the goals of reverse remodeling or, or reversing the adverse remodeling, where we have a range of biological and physical therapies. And we all know that the, the foundational backbone for HEFREF are a range of medical therapies that are started in different order, depending upon the patient's phenotype. We have CRT. We have some valve therapies, if you believe in the valve-first hypothesis for functional mitral regurgitation. Mitroclip has been shown to be effective in at least half of the patients. And there are some flow contractility devices. But in parallel, we've learned lessons from surgery about physical means of remodeling. Um, doctors Starling and Salters have, and have introduced to you the surgical Batista procedures, the door procedure, aneurysectomies. Dr. Estep uh, over, uh, sort of went through the, the evolving hybrid transcatheter bioventrix revivant uh, procedure, which we're very excited to be a part of. I'm going to highlight two or three devices that are also happening in parallel, one of which is the AccuSynch device, which we are also, we've, we've consented three patients and have randomized one patient to placebo, where we're looking very closely for our first treatment patient, and we're happy to, to get any referrals for patients that fit the phenotype, which I'll discuss with you in a minute. But this is really the first true transcatheter, fully transcatheter therapy that is designed to restore support and strengthen the enlarged dilated left ventricle. Uh, it's a completely percutaneous procedure, transfemoral access with a 20 French uh, femoral arterial sheath, so just like TAVI, a retrograde aortic access. There are specially designed catheters that are designed to um, sort of navigate around the caudal apparatus and around the, around the, uh, the cords at the base of the left ventricle, and that gives you the, the road map to, to position a, um, a guide wire and therefore an implant which is used using anchors, multiple anchors, depending upon the size, the perimeter of the left ventricle, to, to stitch in these anchors and then ultimately cinch. Um, these are 
you know, these are sort of procedures that take between 90 minutes to three hours, depending on the complexity and, and how the patient goes. You can see here that there's early echo guidance in terms of taking the catheter around the papillary muscles, but once you've actually successfully and, and confirmed your position at the base of the left ventricle using a predefined, pre-shaped track catheter and nav catheter, it really is a fluoroscopic procedure. And those of us who have performed transcatheter mitral annuloplasty procedures such as cardioband and millipede, it is a fairly similar workflow, uh, working under the mitral annulus coming around towards the other side. And once you've actually implanted your anchors, you then are able to cinch uh, simply by turning a knob that clicks over a course of a few minutes, and you are able to significantly reduce the diameter at the base of the ventricle between the septum and the lateral wall. And typically you can achieve around a 26% reduction based on the actual difference in the, in, the, in the distance between the pre and post cinch. And here is a fluoroscopic example of one of my colleagues in New York who performed uh, the first procedure in this particular trial. So here is a, a quick trial sort of overview. It's the, it's the CoreSynch HF trial. It's a prospective randomized multicenter study. Patients are randomized one-to-one -to, -one to treatment with the AccuSynch device with background established guideline directed medical therapy, similar to COAPT. It's a fairly strict uh, medical eligibility committee criteria that you have to get the patient through, that they're on their maximally tolerated HEFREF GDMT and or CRT or, and or ICD if relevant. And then the patients, if they still have NYHA3 or have had a heart failure hospitalization within the 12 months and they have a dilated ventricle as defined by an internal diameter and diastole of at least 55 millimeters and their ejection fraction is between 20 and 40 percent, then they are candidates. And these are the kind of patients that we'd love for you to send our way. You can email any one of us and we'd, we'd do all the work and, and screen the patient for you. Now, this, this device has been used in Europe in an early feasibility study in, in, in the mitral regurgitation cohort. So this device was initially designed to treat functional mitral regurgitation. And as the, the, the company and the implanters sort of looked at um, what this device was actually achieving, it became readily apparent that this was a device keyed into actually treating HEFREF patients and the functional mitral regurgitation could be treated in parallel. So when they pooled all of their early feasibility studies that were performed both here and in the US, they identified 41 patients who match the criteria for the current CoreSynch HF trial. And it turns out that they have 12-month data on these patients. And here are some of the summary findings based on the quality of life outcomes on the top right, the KCCQ questionnaire. You can see here that out to 12 months, there's a 20-point improvement in the KCCQ score. Now, just to put that into perspective, a delta of 10 or an improvement of 10 in the KCCQ has been validated as a moderate to large improvement in the quality of life of these patients. There is an emerging data pool that shows across different procedures, both TAVI, MitraClip, that, if, that when you have at least a 10-point improvement in your KCCQ score, that does tend to correlate with improved outcomes, including mortality. And so the KCCQ score is, a, is, is really the foundation of the endpoints that we use in some of these interventional heart failure device trials. You can see, see here the impressive sustained improvements in the end systolic and end diastolic volumes. Moving on to a new device that's really exciting, it's called the V-Sling. 
It's a company based in Israel called Cardiac Success. And this is really based around the premise that when you have HEFREF and you have ongoing dilation of the left ventricle, the papillary muscles are displaced as the ejection fraction reduces. This causes leaflet tethering, and 20% of these patients have functional mitral regurgitation. And really most of the efforts so far have been on trying to repair the valve, namely mitroclip. However, we need to always go back and learn some lessons from our surgeons. And there is a procedure called a sling procedure, which is a placement of a PTFE Gore-Tex tube around the pap muscles. Usually it's combined with ring annuloplasty to treat mitral regurgitation. So as, as it stands, there was a randomized trial using essentially sort of surrogate outcomes, a small trial by investigators in, in Italy that looked at surgical patients who underwent mitral valve annuloplasty with or without the sling. And you can see here that there was some significant improvements towards the patients who had the combined, combined procedure in terms of their ejection fraction, the size of the LV uh, reduction, and also the tenting reduction. And so unsurprisingly, when we look at medical device companies, we look back and what what our surgical colleagues have learned, and we try and mimic some of these maneuvers to see whether we can achieve this in a fully transcatheter technique. And so this company has, a, or are developing, uh, the V-sling device, um, which essentially um, is at the stage where they are close to starting their first in-man trial planned in Europe and Israel in the next few months. Standard inclusion criteria, very similar to, to Corsinch, um, you really need to have a dilated left ventricle and an end systolic interpapillary muscle distance of at least 20 millimeters. And this really will be, you know, we'll see if it works, an adjunct therapy to AccuCinch and Bioventrix in restoring the shape of the ventricle and hopefully achieving some of the similar outcomes that we see with other therapies that physically um, aim to reduce the size of the left ventricle. Dr. Starling showed you the parachute device, which was really a scaffold sitting at the apex of the left ventricle designed to reduce volume, but it was a static scaffold, not a dynamic scaffold. And that particular device didn't work. Eucardia is an Italian-based company that are designing the heart damper device that looks very much like parachute, but, but actually is a dynamic device that moves in systole and diastole. So it gives you a systolic kick um, and is designed really to try and augment and reduce left ventricular structure and function. And so we, this is in very early preclinical development, so we will see how this device emerges and whether it can improve on the lessons we learnt from parachute. And you can see here there's no need for an external power source. It's a dynamic functional device. Myocardial restoration um, is an established therapy. It really has been left in the research realm after the Augment Heart Failure trial was published in the European Heart Journal about seven years ago. Alginate or alginate hydrogels are stable, inert, biocompatible compounds that are naturally occurring and stem from seaweed or, and brown algae. They have mechanical properties that are compatible with healthy myocardium. They tend not to degrade, and they are able to scaffold and restore structures over time. And one of the structures that it may be able to restore, if injected into, is a left ventricle. And this, this has been a surgical procedure in the past, whereby 
a thoracotomy-based approach was taken and hydrogel injections were placed in various locations in the left ventricular wall. And if you go back to Laplace's law and you look at one of the factors that, that contribute towards wall stress and the self-propagating um, sort of remodeling process, one of the factors is wall thickness. And so if you can scaffold and enhance the uh, left ventricular wall, you can actually improve wall thickness. And that contributes to reduction in wall dimensions, diameter and radius, and then can subsequently reduce wall stress. And so the augment heart failure certainly wasn't a perfect trial. There were issues with some of the, some of the major adverse cardiovascular events. But when you look at some of the functional parameters, certainly the data looks intriguing. There were some significant improvements in peak oxygen consumption, six-minute walk testing, and quality of life scores. And you look and you look, and you look here at some of the comparisons from established therapies. So certainly it is intriguing. There is now a system that is completely transcatheter-based, and this is now becoming a very competitive space with some recent uh, sort of business acquisitions that have occurred in the device industry that you'll hear about in the coming weeks. But this particular Chinese trial, which was a first-in-man trial presented at DHF, the device and heart failure meeting uh, a few months ago, shows you the early safety and feasibility results of the XDROP system. Now, those of you who are interventional cardiologists and do structural interventions, you can see that this looks very much like a mitroclip device or a transcatheter devices we use for mitral or tricuspid therapies. It really is a simple retrograde aortic system that is designed to sit in the LV and using echocardiographic guidance, you can navigate in various regions of the left ventricle and you can inject hydrogels based on your pre-procedural imaging. This is 10 patients uh, with HEFREF, the standard kind of patients that we have seen in most of these device trials. Um, there were, this is yet to be peer-reviewed and published. This is really just data that was presented at, at the DHF meeting recently. There were no serious adverse device effects. You can see here in, in those patients that had 90-day um, follow-up, you can see some you know, in, intriguing improvements in their KCCQ scores. And some of the volume changes you can see on the bottom right also are very intriguing. So this 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 sort of space in terms of LV restoration is really going to expand in the coming years. It's exciting to be a part of this this venture, and, and there's a lot of work to be done collectively between heart failure imaging and intervention, as well as cardiac surgery. And we certainly look forward to playing a key role in this space. Thanks. So recall our gentleman with ischemic cardiomyopathy who developed an LV apical aneurysm. These are pictures that uh, recapitulates what Dr. Um, Soltes demonstrated earlier with a series of anchors. The LV apical aneurysm was successfully excluded. And again, on representative imaging, uh, on cardiac MRI, one can appreciate the reduction in end diastolic and systolic volumes and improvement in ejection fraction. Again, with a 39% reduction in end systolic volume index which is important in improvement in ejection fraction after his procedure. The NT-proBNP level in this patient, again, an important biomarker we use in heart failure, correlates with response to the bioventrix LV reconstruction surgery. Um, as you can see, during his initial presentation, after his myocardial infarction, his NT-proBNP levels maxed out at greater than 6,000. He did have acute decompensated heart failure requiring admission after his bioventrix was implanted. The overall trajectory of his BNP level is downward, correlating with an improvement in symptomology. 
So in conclusion, this gentleman underwent LV reconstruction. There was a subsequent reduction in LV size, as previously mentioned, but also importantly, an improvement in heart failure severity. He is now NYHA class two by symptomology and he remains optimized on guideline-directed medical therapies. So in the appropriate patient population, LV reconstruction ther uh, therapies coupled with well-established guideline-directed medical therapies for heart failure offers intriguing therapeutic potential. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.